0: Let me absolutely reassure you this is bad policy and incredibly bad legislation. It is written by non-smokers for yes. smokers.
1: They will have established the principle that it's alright <laughs> for the government to ban adults from smoking. And they will point out, quite understandably, that if it's okay to ban a 20-year-old from buying tobacco, it should be alright to ban a 40-year-old, a 60-year-old, an 80-year-old from buying tobacco.
2: The UK government is considering a generational tobacco ban with the smoking age rising a year every year until no one will be legally allowed to buy tobacco. In a decade that will mean that a 25 year old will be legally allowed to buy tobacco products but a 24 year old will not. Now the government raises a staggering £10 billion every year in tobacco duties where will this money come from? Where will this gap in the treasury come from? We've also got to remember that contrary to popular belief, the uh, smokers actually raise more in tax for uh, the government than they take in spending on healthcare through the NHS. So will the tobacco market be handed over to criminal gangs? The ban could create this huge black market and make it easier for miners to access cheaper, unregulated cigarettes. Is this the next step to prohibition? I am absolutely delighted to be joined by our wonderful panel today to my... Uh, right we've got christopher snowden our very own iea's head of lifestyle economics chris is the author of the art of suppression the spirit level delusion and velvet glove iron fist he works on uh, lifestyle issues as well as dodgy statistics we also have a couple of his publications around we've got Killjoys, we've got Prohibition, so if you guys are interested in uh, taking one of these uh, books, they are free, you're more than welcome to. Um, but if you would like to also give us a donation to support the work that the IEA does, then feel free to do so as well. Um, we've also got Chris's paper that he published today, and you can find the audiobook on IEA Publications wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you would like to get a physical copy, uh, just speak to one of us and we'll be able to get that sorted for you as well. Uh, To the, uh, all the way at the end here, we've got Paul North, who is the Director of Vault Fast. Vault Fast is a London-based advocacy and communications organisation that seeks to reduce harm harm that drugs pose to individuals and society. Um, He is also a criminologist and an addiction specialist with over nine years of experience working in the drug treatments sector. All the way to my right at the end, we've got Mark Oates. Mark is the director of Wevape and is a uh, prolific uh, harm reduction advocate and to my direct left we've got craig whittaker mp craig has spent seven odd years Mm. in the whip's (laughs) office and has uh, and is the uh, mp for calder valley lots of introductions so without further ado i'm going to give each of my panelists five minutes to outline their main argument so chris would you like to start us off
1: thank you yeah um yeah hello thanks for coming um obviously there was some good news on this particular issue um on Friday, or on Monday if you read The Guardian and the BBC, but on Friday, in, from New Zealand, um, when the where the new centre-right government decided it's actually not gonna bring in the loony policies of the previous Jacinda Ardern uh, left-wing government. Um, and uh, there's been lots of kicking and squealing about this from uh, from health groups in New Zealand, who are now treating this as, as if the government is engaging in human sacrifice or something like that. But we have to remember, this is an entirely experimental policy hasn't, um, hasn't been tried anywhere, um, or certainly not in this rather peculiar way of very slowly prohibiting the sale of um, tobacco. So that was been of good news. The bad news is that Rishi Sunak immediately said upon hearing this news that there will be no change in the government's plans of raising the smoking age every year for 100 years until smoking is totally prohibited. Um, which is quite depressing. Um, not as depressing probably as the opinion polls on this. Um, no one really knows why Rishi Sunak has introduced this policy, perhaps part of his legacy, although he's only been in office for for a year, looking for a, a legacy. Smokers often get a kicking when um, politicians are looking for legacies. Look at Tony Blair's smoking ban, Theresa May's smoke-free 2030 target. Um, uh, but the other theory is that it's just quite popular. It polls apparently quite well with people who voted Tory in 2019. Um, the poll I saw today said that 67% of the public approve of this idea. I'm not sure, quite honestly, whether all these people actually understand what the policy entails. I suspect that at least some of those people could be turned around if they thought a little bit more deeply about what this would mean going forward. I, I wonder how many people, when they just hear, 14 year olds are never going to be allowed to buy cigarettes. Just think, well, I don't want 14 year olds to buy cigarettes. And they're not really thinking that at some point those 14 year olds will be as old as them. Um, I just want to take on the three main justifications that the government has given for introducing this weird policy. The first is that most smokers start smoking before the age of 21. Now, that in itself is quite interesting because when I was younger, The line was always that most smokers start before the age of 16, because the smoking age was 16 then. And indeed that it does seem wrong that, you know, people who are too young to really make up, uh, you know, make informed decisions as we normally consider them, are getting into a product that is potentially addictive. You can see why you would want to push people to an earlier age before they first try something uh, as, as potentially hazardous and addictive as cigarettes. Fair enough. Then it became most smokers start smoking before the age of 18, then it was 19, and now it is most of them smoke uh, start smoking um, before they're 21. Well, in this country, we don't, we don't consider being 18, 19, or 20 to be a child. I know they do in America for certain things, but we we never have done. Actually, the median age at which people start smoking now is 18, and most people actually start between the ages of 18 and 24. So what is the government saying? Is it saying that they believe that people between the ages of 18 and 20 are children? If so, why not just increase the smoking age to 21? Or is it that they actually just think that nobody at any age is ever really um, you're capable of making the decision of, of becoming a smoker. So that's the first part of it. Second part uh, goes back to this addiction issue. The government says that most smokers say that they, they, they want to quit, they wish they'd never started. Actually, if you look at the surveys upon which these claims are made, um, it's, n- it's by no means as clear cut as that. And you have to remember, there's a huge amount of social desirability bias in any kind of survey. Smoking is very much frowned upon. Uh, The government has gone out of its way to demonise smoking and smokers over the years. Um, If somebody rings you up uh, to conduct a survey and asks you your views on smoking, or if you're a smoker yourself, then yeah, you, you probably will. Uh, want to give the socially desirable answer, which is that yeah, I smoke but I don't really like it, I wish I could quit, and I wish I hadn't started, whatever it may be. Now, perhaps aware of this, the people who, who conduct these surveys actually ask a series of different questions. They, they say, um, Do you, would you like to quit and have you got any plans to quit? But then they say, would you really like to quit and have you got any plans to quit? Knowing that really it's only worth looking at the, the, the latter of those two. But... If you do that, it's actually only 20% of people say they really want to quit. And I would suggest to you, if people are hopelessly addicted and wish they'd never started smoking, they would say they really want to quit rather than they just kind of, yeah, think they maybe sh- should quit. Only 20% of the, the, all the smokers in Britain um, say that. And of those, only a minority actually have any intention of quitting in the next six months. So while I fully ex- accept that some people really do struggle with smoking and would like to stop, um, I think it's very easy to exaggerate how many people are in that position. After years of anti-smoking policy, <coughs> sky-high taxes and so on, I think it's reasonable to assume that at least most of the people who smoke now have kind of made up their decision about this and would really like to be left alone to continue smoking. The third um, angle is the NHS cost, which Reem's already mentioned. You know, I've, I've written so much, I'm bored of talking about it, really. But the economics of this are really very clear. The government makes a lot more out of smokers than uh, smokers make out of the government. So how will this transpire, this odd ban. Well, it won't really kick in until 2026, in effect, when that first cohort turned 18, at which point you would imagine you've got a lot of 18-year-olds buying cigarettes off 19-year-olds, which isn't too difficult to do down the university or wherever. Um, And for a few years, you will have basically friends buying cigarettes for friends and who's going to feel guilty about that because they are, at the end of the day, adults. At some point beyond that, I guess it'd be more difficult for for 18-year-olds to get hold of cigarettes from friends and family and they they will turn to the black market. Actually, in practice, I think that none of this will really happen. I think maybe it will get to the stage where 20-year-olds can't buy cigarettes and 21-year-olds can. Um, But I think within a couple of years, if not before... Everyone will see how absurd the system is, not least the anti-smoking campaigners, who will then say, actually, what we really need is a level playing field. But by that point, they will have established principle that it's all right for the government to ban adults from smoking. And they will point out, quite understandably, that if it's okay to ban a 20-year-old from buying tobacco, it should be all right to ban a 40-year-old, a 60-year-old, an 80-year-old from buying tobacco. This is how they operated all the step down the line. Some people might call it the slippery slope fallacy and strictly speaking the slippery slope is a fallacy but look at the history of tobacco regulation in this country and tell me where the fallacy is in the slippery slope it has been constantly greased by by various campaigners and in fact if you rather than call it the slippery slope you just call it setting a precedent it actually seems perfectly sensible and and reasonable that this is exactly what happens you set a precedent and other things follow and in closing i would say that um if, if you're not a smoker um, you should be concerned about that. If you are a smoker, well, obviously you're over 18, you might be thinking it still won't affect me. Well, for the reasons I've, I've given my little prediction, it will affect you, I think. Within a decade, tobacco will be banned completely. If you don't care about that, I would suggest that the fact that they banned tobacco, which has never been banned in this country, even under James I, who hated tobacco, um, I would suggest it's gonna make things rather easier to ban other uh, pleasures in life. and uh, And therefore, we should be opposing it on principle. And that, I, it's to come back to what I started with, that is why I find it so depressing that two thirds of the population apparently uh, agree with this because we have, we seem to be turning our back in this country on the basic principle of, of John Stuart Mill, really. You know, the idea that you know, the only you know, justification for the government uh, intervening in other people's affairs is if they are causing harm to others and their, their physical and moral Um, implications uh, are none of the government's business.
2: Thank you very much Chris, and uh, I'd like to now turn to Paul North from Vulpas.
3: Thanks. (laughs) So I've spent the past 16 years of my professional career working in drug policy. Throughout that time I've formed a number of sensible positions on how we should control and regulate drugs in the UK. These positions have been formed by first-hand experience of working with individuals who use drugs in treatment services and by carrying out detailed policy research and analysis of both legal regulated drug markets and illicit. I'd like to share my key reflections on why, based on my expertise and experience, the government's proposed smoking ban will be an absolute disaster. The first is that prohibition does not prevent access to a drug, it simply moves a substance from a legal regulated market into an unregulated one. We have overwhelming evidence to support this position. Those who feel that the war on drugs has never been fought and we are not tough enough, well we now have a whole new front to pour and fight our resources into. Different drugs present different challenges for law enforcement in terms of how their use is prevented or deterred. In the case of prohibiting cigarettes for an ever expanding population of potential users, there are several exceptional challenges unlike any other drug which we currently regulate. Cigarettes for the next 100 years or so will be readily available and being used by an ever-declining population. Those born in 2008 will spend a lifetime watching, knowing, and God forbid in some cases even smelling, other people's smoking cigarettes. From an enforcement perspective, does this mean police or security services must constantly request to see people's IDs of those smoking in public to ensure they are (coughs) legal users? An endeavour which is ultimately a deep, deep time sink for the police. An individual born in 2008 and beyond will be caught and put in handcuffs, (coughs) while others born a few weeks later in 2009 watch on in relief from the smoking area or the queue to enter a club, a rave or a venue. To be effectively implemented, this policy will take huge amounts of policing and observation to succeed. Many, many people will be arrested and criminalised in the UK, wasting police time, costing the taxpayer, taxpayer money, a pointless, costly and unjust measure. Cigarette papers will be considered contraband and illegal to purchase for anyone born from 2008. So to be clear, the procurement of a thin piece of paper will be completely (laughs) illegal. That is an insane position for us to be in. To police a drug in this way is immediately far more challenging than any other illegal drug. The fact that the UK is one of the only countries stupid enough to embark on this endeavour further fuels the challenge. This policy is not cutting edge at the forefront of sensible reform. It is a knee-jerk protectionist policy, which in its immediate challenges of implementation will not be picked up by any sensible nation. Our rapidly growing population of banned smokers will grow up in a world in which almost any other country the procurement and use of the drug is completely legal and normal. What we know without any doubt is that once you make a drug illegal, The criminal market celebrates this and quickly captures the opportunity for economic growth. Gangs will absolutely sell cigarettes to a growing customer base, making access easy and profitable. In a world where drugs can be easily bought, they will be easily sold. Children, when they access the illicit market to buy cannabis, cocaine, any other popular drug, will also be able to buy cigarettes and likely do so. Prohibition relies on fear to deter the public from using a drug, fear of criminal intervention, an arrest, fear of harm through using a dangerous, unregulated drug, and for many in society such fears can prevent procurement. Yet the harms of cigarettes are clearly known, and the fact that those born born on or after 2008 will see their elders openly using the drug will demonstrate to them that this is not a drug to fear. It clearly has the potential for serious health effects, but the use of the drug and the effects are incredibly mild, allowing a user to do any task they wish without impairment or risk of a bad experience. The biggest failing here is that from a policy perspective, if you want to reduce smoking, there are far better alternative measures which don't create criminal markets where gangs profit, where people are criminalised for using a drug which doesn't change their behaviour or make them a threat to society or waste police time with complex enforcement. We urgently need to verbalise the reality of this policy to government, the media and the wider public. I'll also add that my position is rare in the drug policy world. The majority of my colleagues from similar backgrounds and experiences love this ban and welcome it. They want a world where someone could buy magic mushrooms from a pharmacist or a shop, which has the potential to change an individual's entire understanding of reality, yet ban a cigarette which at best calms you down a bit. (laughs) Like the government, they care too much about the protectionist message such a policy sends rather than its practical application, and are ultimately blinded by their love of public health and societal control over freedom, liberty, and common sense.
2: Amazing. Thank you so much for that, Paul. And I'll now turn to Mark.
4: Okay, so if anyone's expecting Madeleine Grant, <laughs> I, I apologise, I'm the less attractive Madeline. I'm more male, although if you ask Doctor Who, <laughs> don't assume my gender. Um, now let's be clear, the government is getting its strategy in terms of the generation Ban completely wrong because what it's doing is uh, judging any tobacco product to be bad and any non-tobacco product to be good. And that's actually not the differential when it comes to what causes harm for people. The differential is whether something is consumed in a combustible manner, so a burnt cigarette, versus something that's non-combustible. So there's a particular product that are going to be banned for young people, which is heat not burn which is vastly safer for you than smoking, and is the reason why Japan has reduced their cigarette consumption by yep. 50% over the last few years. So that is a huge mistake. You're going to have young people being able to go and buy cigarettes off the streets because I'm afraid the politicians aren't aware that's how it works. I remember working in a shop when I was 16 and the window cleaner would sell us cigarettes for two, three pounds a pack. But it seems the uh, the politicians are so aloof to the realization that for the rest of us, you can walk down the street and be offered all sorts of illicit products. Um, They fail to see that problem. There's also other products. So my my love uh, my first love before my wife, was um, Swedish snooze. I was flying home from China where I was smoking 50 pence a pack of cigarettes, sponsored and supported by the Chinese Communist Party, thank you very much, and I picked up a, a, a pack of uh, Swedish Snus, and I thought, this product is marvellous. And I came home to find this product was illegal. Yeah. And my initial libertarian streak thought, this is utter madness. And then I found out, not only was this... Uh, product wrongly illegal so because of a libertarian argument but also this product was vastly safer than smoking there's a reason why sweden has the lowest smoking rate in europe has achieved what we're trying to achieve here which is smoke free less than five percent of the population smoking and yet they have the same nicotine consumption levels more or less but they don't have the same numbers as people dying from lung cancer and they have the, the men have the lowest oral cancer. So a lot of people worry about Swedish snus, it's an oral nicotine product, they think, oh, oral cancer. No, I'm afraid Sweden has some of the lowest oral cancers in Europe. So clearly, the facts are on the side that snus doesn't cause oral cancer. And if we delve into that a little bit further, then we can look at why is snus so good? Well, it's pasteurized. It's a pasteurized uh, tobacco product that kills off the nitrosamines, which is different from chewing tobacco. So let's not judge them all the same. Now the fact is, if given the levers of power, I'm a harm reduction advocate. Look, I would like to see less people dying from smoking, but I don't want to tell people how to live their lives. If they want to smoke, that's up to them. I don't want to live in North Korea. But with the right levers of power, it would be so easy to reduce the smoking rate to 5%. But how do you do that? Well, firstly, I'd legalise snooze. Now, this country left the European Union. By leaving the European Union, we had the power to legalise snooze. But we haven't done it. I always say that the legalisation of snus is a a weather vane of whether Britain is really making good use of uh, of leaving the EU. And we haven't done it. There's plenty of things we haven't done that we could have done. We're not willing to do it because, frankly, we have the politicians that don't have the confidence of their own judgment. They're too busy looking at polls. Um, So you've got snus. That would probably take hundreds of thousands of people away from smoking. Heat not burn is a fantastic product that mimic smoking better than vaping, um, better than nicotine pouches, better than snooze, but the consumers do not know about it uh, because of the fact it contains tobacco, you can't advertise and inform the consumer. And then we've got nicotine pouches. Um, Nicotine pouches are my mistress. When I can't get hold (laughs) of snooze because it's illegal, then I get hold of nicotine pouches. Um, Again, they're a growing product. They're offering a a half out of cigarettes but the difference between nicotine pouches and vaping is vaping self-advertisers so when you see someone vaping people go what's that guy up to what's christopher Snow doing with that thing in his mouth and they they go and want to buy it but with nicotine pouches you don't know that someone's got in you in in you sorry you're using it so it doesn't quite have the same growth but over time that market will grow so amongst snooze he not burn nicotine pouches and vaping we could actually get uh, Uh, Smoke-free 2030 by 2024, I think, if I was given control. Um, (laughs) But how do we do that? How do we get that message across? Well, the answer is put in every single pack of cigarettes a little message informing the consumer that these products are vastly safer than smoking because 50% of smokers are not aware that vaping is safer than smoking. They either don't know or they think it's worse. So we need to inform the public. Um, in the same way we've managed to inform the public that it's better they have the COVID vaccine than they don't. And, and, and finally, we're obviously talking a lot about the prohibition of cigarettes, but I just want to point some things out. The government is considering banning flavors of vapes and my polling for Wevape has found that 20% of vapors will go back to smoking if flavors are banned. That is around a million vapors going back to smoking. Two in three. Smokers die, that's 600,000 people dying because they banned flavors. One in 10 vapors said they would start making their own e liquid flavors in their bathtubs. <laughs> 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 that's not very smart. And then finally, there was a, a poll done which found one in five vapors would go back to smoking if disposals were banned. And from, I spent a lot of time reading papers <coughs> from banks. And they're actually one of the best ways of finding out information about uh, cigarette sales in this country. And last sort of year, 20% reduction in cigarette sales. Now, that's largely come from disposables because they, they mimic a cigarette better than anything else. You know, Chris likes his refillable vape, but frankly, a lot of people just can't be bothered with the hassle. So I'll, I'll finish with that and say prohibition isn't the way to do things. <coughs> Informing the public of the truth and the facts and the science is. And you know, give me sexual state for Department of Health, and I'll give you smoke twenty twenty four. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And speaking of disposable babes, if you are interested in research on this, Chris and I wrote a paper called A Vapid Solution, which also has an audio book out on our Publications if you're interested. Uh, now, we've been talking a lot about the way in which politicians have reacted to this policy. Well, thankfully, we've got a politician right here, so maybe you can tell us a bit about this, Craig.
0: That's great, Reem. Thank you very much, and thanks for inviting me this evening. What I will say to Paul is, actually, Paul, politicians are aware. Uh, they're not all aloof. Uh, and I can absolutely tell you that I have 100% um, uh, uh, confidence in my own judgment, particularly in this, in this area. And if you don't believe me, have a look at the press I've had today by supporting something else that isn't uh, too, uh, uh, <coughs> too popular in society as well. So, uh, um, But Mark. what oh, I right. will say to you, sorry, it's Mark. Sorry, did I call you Paul? It's oh, right. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Both nice names. Anybody younger <laughs> than me looks <laughs> as <well. laughs> Uh What I will say to you, though, is that actually the majority of the stuff, I, I do agree with you. Uh, what I would like to put aside for the minute is the, uh, the argument around actually Nanny State. Um, we haven't even mentioned that yet. Um, and it's quite ironic that a, a conservative coalition government in New Zealand has done a complete U-turn on it, and yet a so-called Conservative government in this country is going hell for leather to putting it, uh, putting it through in this country. Um, Reem said earlier that um, they were considering doing it here. They're not considering it, they're going to be doing it. Uh, and I know that because I've spoke this evening in between votes uh, to the Minister with Responsibility, Andrea Leadsom. And I can tell you she is not listening at all. She is going hell for leather because this is what the Prime Minister wants in this country. Let me absolutely reassure you, this is bad policy and incredibly bad legislation. It is written by non-smokers for smokers. Um, And let's just take New Zealand for a minute. This, This policy has been plucked from New Zealand and dumped in our country. Now, I don't know whether any of you have ever been to New Zealand, but it's a hell of a long way away from, from, uh, from any kind of civilization. In fact, it's <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I went to school in New Zealand for a short period of time, so before anybody laugh, accuses me laugh. of being racist or whatever. <laughs> um, but I can tell you that, um, you know, the nearest, largest country from New Zealand is over three hours flight away, which is Australia. Um, they do not have the illicit tobacco industry in that country like we have in our country. It's 23 miles across the English Channel. And I can tell you that the last, these are the official, um, the official figures on um, illicit uh, uh, tobacco in this country, is 5.5 billion cigarettes and half a billion kilograms of rolled tobacco. Now, that's the official figures. Now, I'm not gonna be crude and ask everybody to put their hand up here who smokes and who doesn't pay full price for fags. But I can tell you, I can go into any one of my pubs in the Calder Valley and, uh, uh, um, and nobody, and I mean nobody, pays full price for cigarettes. Uh, they either get them through somebody they know uh, or if they've been uh, uh, close to somebody that's just been into Europe or in abroad, they get them much, much cheaper. Now, um, I actually was a smoker for 40 years and I gave up on the 8th of March this year. Uh, and trust me, I tried every single uh, avenue of giving up, not because I wanted to, because I can almost say to you that I enjoyed every single cigarette I smoked in my life. Okay? <laughs> that was my choice. This, this policy takes choice away. Um, and for me, the only thing that uh, that actually kicked the habit was heated tobacco. Mm. And uh, in fact, I did it for a bet. Somebody said, try this. If you don't like it, we'll, we'll give you your money back. And, uh, and I tried heated tobacco. Now, the alarming thing for me tonight was uh, that when I spoke to the minister about heated tobacco, and you mentioned uh, s- uh, s- Snus earlier on, um, I, I put the argument forward saying, look, you know, we've got 60.4 million smokers in this country, let's not forget about them, those that may want to, let's give them something else in their arsenal for giving up, one of which is heated tobacco. The minister said to me, ah, but heated tobacco is incredibly harmful. I said, well, where is your evidence, minister? She said, oh, Professor Whitty's got it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've asked her, and she assures me that she'll get it, but I know damn well she won't get it because there isn't the evidence there. Um, that, um, that, um, uh, they, that that they, unlike New Zealand, who <coughs> excluded heated tobacco because they realised that was a, a, um, a, another arsenal in, in the tool for those uh, smokers. Now, I, I won't go on because I'm taking up um, time for everybody else. I think I've covered every point that I want, albeit in a very, uh, very uh, roundabout way. Mark, I really genuinely wasn't having a go at you. <laughs> like Can I uh, just say, Mr Whistler, you're... Uh, it's uh, Craig, by the way. Sorry, it's Craig. <laughs> A breath of fresh air. Where have they been hiding you? <laughs> yeah, well, they I do try to put questions. me out. In the whip's office of the past seven yeah, years, trust yeah. me. Uh, so anyway, so I'll, I'll finish there because I'm sure there's lots and lots of uh, <coughs> other questions. But I, 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 I don't know. And uh, I, I'm not sure if it was Paul or, or Mark, it might have even been Christopher earlier on, that said, how are we going to police this? Uh, you know, we can't even police what we do now, let alone police, uh, you know, something that's yeah. staggered, aged. Uh, you know, I couldn't even begin to tell you how old the guys are on the panel here, because once you get to a certain age, everybody younger than <laughs> you it looks, uh, uh, looks 12 anyway. Uh, um, so um, it's just a nonsense in my view. It's bad policy and incredibly bad legislation as well.
2: It is particularly enlightening to hear politicians speak in the way you have. So, thank you, Craig. That's that's wonderful to hear. Um, Before we go to the audience, I do just have one question for our panelists. And, you know, we we make the argument for liberty all the time at the IEA, and we make the argument for free markets and for individual choice. Uh, But ultimately, politicians and policymakers aren't listening to this. so let's talk about what the real consequences of this policy would actually look like. We've touched on it. we've touched on this idea that there will be uh, well Craig has very well uh, very um, fantastically outlines the way in which an illicit market will uh, boom as a result of this generational ban. But I want to hear from our panelists you know if this is to be implemented and it sounds as though it will be, what will this actually look like in, in the real world? What, what will the real impact be for young people, for the next generation of people, and what will it look like in terms of harm reduction? So I'll start on the end. Mark.
4: How will a, a generation ban look? Well, I mean, I would go visit my friends at Manchester University, have great fun, but you'd go around to the corner shop and you wouldn't buy cigarettes which were legal. You'd pay a very small sum for illegal ones. And, and, Craig, it's great to hear that someone's got some uh, real life experience in in Parliament because my experience has has, has not always been that way. You know, there's a lot of people that are are aloof to the facts. So it's that misunderstanding. Imagine being in second year of university and you can buy cigarettes, but the year below can't. You're going to make an absolute killing. I mean, when, when, when I was a student, you know, people were. What was it? Um, Entrepreneur. So it was a legal, uh, now an illegal drug, which wasn't illegal then, but people made huge amounts of money from Alibaba buying this, what was called plant fertiliser, which wasn't, you know. <laughs> I mean, so it's going to be the same. I mean, it, it's, it's a nonsense. And, and what really frustrates me is the fact that you could be in a situation where you can't buy a pack of cigarettes, but you can go to war and you can die for your country. I mean, that is utter madness. And you, and you look at, you know, people in Ukraine right now, are they caring about whether they live... Um, in 50 years in the future, no. They're worried about where they're gonna to live tomorrow. So they don't care, they're gonna smoke. And that's, frankly, why I started smoking was because when you're a young person, you don't really care about that. And that's what a lot of these public health people don't understand, that we're not as interested as you are about living a long life. You know, the old saying, no pleasure is worth giving up for three more years in a nursing home. Um, so, so please, and frankly, you know, let's be honest, I would still be smoking if it wasn't for the fact that I found reducers' products. And and again, they don't understand that. And and Chris, you mentioned about this uh, thing which uh, uh, Javid Khan mentioned about, I think he said 50% of smokers want to quit. And you've challenged that. But that means 50% of smokers don't want to quit. And that's where reducer's products come in because they can still enjoy nicotine but quit. And likewise, if there are 50% of smokers that want to quit, well, they've been trying but failing. So give them the thing they want, which is the nicotine. Without all the
2: harm.
4: Without the harm, there you go.
2: Amazing, thank you Mark. And Chris, you talk about the way in which many people on the liberty side of the argument at least have been on the same side as the public health lobby for many years. Why do you think it's important that we make the arguments for liberty as well as pointing out the the fact that this actually won't work in the first place if, if what you do care about is reducing smoking rates?
1: Well, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I've been on the side of the public health people as such, but yeah, certainly the arguments have coalesced around harm reduction because e-cigarettes and nicotine and, and, you know, the, the pouches and the other stuff Mark mentions, um, you can have liberty and you can have health. You know, and, and so these are great free market interventions that further public health goals. Um, And I fear maybe we've been a little bit too much focused on the public health arguments and not enough focused on on the libertarian arguments, which are very strong, not just in principle, in that I want people to be able to do what they want to do with their lives, um, but the practical consequences, coming back to your original question, of prohibiting popular products that lots of people want to buy, and we're talking millions of people, Um, are are dreadful and you know have a look at this not actually my book by the way this prohibition is one but it it looks at various uh, this is before I was at the IA it's a wonderful book there it's all sorts of prohibitions including live organ uh, transplants at the end Um, and and just the terrible unintended consequences of prohibition know, prohibition does work sometimes don't get me wrong there are some things that can be nipped in about because no one's really interested in them (laughs) But in that case you don't really need prohibition Right, there, there would be no call for prohibition unless there was demand for the product. And if there's demand for the product, that suggests that people are going to get some sort of satisfaction from consuming it. So look, I think the consequences of this will be a lot more quickly than people think full prohibition. I want to impress <clears> that point again. You might think that the anti-smoking lobby have got more than they could ever have dreamed of in the last couple of months since Rishi Sunak announced this uh, policy. A policy that nobody seriously considered even a few years ago, they are not satisfied. Let me assure you this. Uh, Only today, Action on Smoking and Health Scotland was saying that this is a a step forward, step in the right direction. What we really need is the denicotinization of cigarettes, taking the nicotine out of cigarettes. This was the real prohibition in New Zealand. A lot of people don't understand the The sinking lid lid of age Mm -hmm. was actually a bit of a distraction. Um, And that the, the, the real thing, actually, that the, the new coalition government wants to get rid of, the real thing that was a threat to all that tax revenue in the very short term was taking the nicotine out of cigarettes, which they were going to do in 2025. The age thing wouldn't have any effects until 2026 The taking nicotine out of cigarettes would have a very immediate effect on january the first 2025 because nobody wants to smoke cigarettes that have nicotine in them and even if you did you wouldn't be doing your health any favor there's the most stupid product you can possibly dream up It's the exact opposite of harm reduction it is harm maximization you get all the tar and none of the pleasure and as a result people not being stupid they're not going to buy it but they're not going to stop smoking either they're going to buy the cigarettes on the black market um, and in a very short space of time, possibly before this policy of moving the smoking age up every year, has even come into full effect. We will be hearing probably the next, the next government, I dare say, uh, going, actually, this is, this is daft. Let's just nip this in the bud. Let's put an end to this death by a thousand coats <clears throat> and, and kill it off. And part of me actually says, go on and do it. Because if you don't like the tobacco industry now, wait till you meet the people who are gonna be selling tobacco in the future. Maybe the only thing yeah, yeah. that will bring politicians to their senses will be a horrific black market and all the criminality that, that, that requires. However, there's no guarantee that even then they'll see sense. We've seen the war on drugs go on for 100 years. Alcohol prohibition went on for 14 years. Um, so you know, be careful what you wish for, but I, I, it doesn't really matter what I wish for because I think this is gonna happen anyway.
2: So it's really interesting that it's effectively an extension on the war on drugs mm. and i think i mean paul as a um, addiction specialist could you tell me what you think the real life consequences of this generational ban will mm. be because effectively the same people that are selling class a drugs are now also going to be selling your regular cigarettes
3: yeah i mean I've, I've i've done a lot of work with young people over the years in universities and schools and mm. youth offending teams and i think the main the main feeling they'll have is, is it'll feel very confusing. It'll feel really confusing for them that older generations are able to use a drug, clearly and openly, with zero intervention mm. from anyone, and yet their <coughs> procurement of it, and even the, pa- the paper thing is wild. Chris only told me about that today. The procurement of paper to be an elite, that's such an odd thing to get your head around. And when I, I've done loads of drug education with kids, and kids understand why drugs are elite. Like, if you say to kids, look, this drug, cocaine, you can, you, can, you can talk to them about it, and they understand why it's illegal. They go, like, OK, cool. I understand that if I use that, it can have a certain effect in which I could harm myself very quickly, very instantly, and I could exhibit behaviour which is problematic for wider society. Cigarettes just don't really fit into that c- category very well. Mm-hmm. Young people will quickly understand, OK, fine, I get it, there's long-term health risk. I, I understand that. I, I get that very It's very obvious and very clear. But the use of the drug doesn't make them a risk... Like, imagine a group of people of all ages smoking out, out in the street N- none of them are it's all consensual harm because they're all smoking and breathing in the smoke N- no one's going to be like now I've had that cigarette I'm bu- I can't wait for a fight I'm going to kick off I'm going <laughs> to Do you know what? I-, I might just overdose and die So, so wait, but when you explain the prohibition to kids they get that they go okay I understand why cocaine and MDMA excess are illegal because my use of that can create very immediate harm and my behaviour can be a problem but smoking a cigarette it's, it, it's a very interesting drug to ban, because you can't make it, it comes back to the public health, but it's very protectionist. And I think kids or, or young people, you know, it be an aging population, will we'll find that process very confusing. And I think it will lead to them not taking it very seriously. Like, like, like pro- prohibition, the, the people that say prohibition doesn't work, it, it works to an extent because it stresses people out. Like, there are a lot of kids I've met that are like, oh my God, I don't want to get arrested. It's, it's, really, it's, it's really dangerous. But I think the prohibition of tobacco, it feels a bit silly. People will see it as silly. Like, we're all making very sensible, logical, none of this is out there. This is all very sensible, logical points. And I think young people will see that too and be like, this feels stupid. But, but the, the compounded impact of that is, you know, is, I've met, spoke to hundreds and hundreds of people who've used, who've used drugs and the use of their drugs obviously can have quite serious effects and it depends on the drug and it depends on the use and how much they use and all sorts of factors but what is definitely immediately problematic and changes lives is criminalisation and that's not to say that you know, it's not, I'm not going to go down and let's legalise all drugs, all drugs should be legalised I'm just saying that the, if, if you take a drug that many many people use and it's very really normalised in society and, 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 and you make it illegal you, with that you're going to bring a whole raft of criminalisation, it's going to take up police time and it's going to severely impact on young people and adults as they get older their ability to function and engage with society you know criminal prosecution p- possession and use of a drug is a serious charge the panel have mentioned that people will sell and and you know the, i mean that's possession with intent to supply that's incre- if, if you give someone cigarettes to, to you know you would be arrested for possession with intent to supply that's an incredibly serious charge it will change your entire life that will be on your record forever huge huge consequences and and that the, that, that feels like a huge problem and a, and a huge... That, that's the thing I worry about more than anything else. It's, it's the criminalisation, the impact that will have on our criminal justice mm. system, the impact that have on the police time, and, the, you know, okay, fine, cigarettes are dangerous, but having a criminal conviction for possession or possession of intent supply is horrendous.
2: Absolutely. I think it'll be ironic that you can get a similar, <laughs> similar uh, a criminal prosecution service as a result of... A similar consequence as a result of uh, carrying tobacco products at that age. It, yeah. it does sound... Particularly call. Now, Craig, um, just before we enter, uh, before we open up to the audience, would you be able to tell us a little bit about what you think the consequences will be for policy making in the future? As a politician, you've seen the way in which the Conservative Party itself has uh, gone from making the ideas of liberty and making those arguments to now arguing for what I think is one of the most liberal policies we've seen, at least in my lifetime. So what, what will the consequences of this be on, on policy making?
0: Well, let me just point out a couple of things before I come on to that. I mean, I mean we talk about pro- prohibition. Recreational cocaine use in this country is at its highest level that it's ever been. And that's through all classes in society. You know, there's no class barriers with recreational use of cocaine. Yet, yeah, guess what? It's illegal. Um, We mentioned earlier on about uh, criminal gangs and gangs getting a hold of tobacco. Well, there's already 5.5 billion illicit cigarettes. Half a billion kilos of rolled tobacco comes into this country every year. And that's the official figures. So you can bet your bottom dollar it's going to be far higher than that. So guess what? The gangs, the criminal gangs, these traffickers are already here. It's already happening. Whether it's going through your local pub or whoever, there is a chain of people involved in that process. My, my, my fear with, with this kind of thing now is that actually um, it, it will become um, you know, a, a massive drain on resource for the government. It's currently £10 billion a year in revenue. That'll decrease over time at a time when demand for the NHS and on the NHS is actually increasing. So where's that money going to come from? It's going to come from everybody as taxpayers. Um, so in regards to policy going forward, I mean, it, w- it will fail. Uh, I mean, it will, it will absolutely fail. There's no, no two ways about this, because there is, there is nothing good about how this policy is thought out, how it is processed, and how, how are you going to physically implement it? You know, that place across the road can legislate until the cows come home, but unless it, it's, the, it's policed, unless it's implemented then it just ain't going to happen. You know, uh, many things that we do now, you get politicians up in arms about certain things. There's already legislation in place. The reality is it's not being policed. And I don't mean by the police, by whichever authority needs to police it, uh, because resources are high. And here we are taking more and more resources out of the pot because those resources are going to come from somewhere. So I think it'll be a disaster for policy going forward. Uh, I think uh, we'll probably see... A Labour government would be my, would be my uh, prediction that we'll do a U-turn on a Conservative, so-called uh, Conservative policy.
2: Do you think we'll see further nanny state measures as a result of this from a Labour government?
0: Ah oh, well, I, I can't speak for the Labour government. I can't even speak for my own government. <laughs> <laughs> <Fair> um, <enough. laughs> um, but, um, um, you know, we're going to have these debates going forward, aren't we, on lots of levels. Uh, but all I care about now is the current Conservative government, and sadly, uh, this is another example of a Conservative government not being Conservative at all.
2: Yeah. Mm. Thank you very much. <laughs> Amazing. So we'll now open up to questions. Again, if you've got a question, just pop your hand, up. we've got a mic uh, coming around somewhere. And uh, please stand up, and if you can introduce yourself very briefly before you ask your question. Uh, do we have the mic? Yeah, so we've got, we've got Martin at the front here.
5: Hi, Martin Cullip. Um, I've been talking about this kind of subject for 15 years now. I'm very concerned, uh, Craig MP, uh, what you said about the public health minister and the views on uh, heated tobacco. Uh, and it's very worrying because, because I think this is symptomatic of what's going on with this legislation. Is because, as Mark said, you have heated tobacco is included in the ban. You have snuff included in the ban. Cigars. Shisha. Shisha, um, cigarette papers, <laughs> um, wasn't this, the whole point of it, was it supposed to, to stop kids smoking? I don't remember the last time I saw a kid using snuff in the park or smoking a big fat Cuban. I mean, it just, see, but th- what worries me about this and her, her view that, that heat tobacco is, is, if it was Andrea Ledson, which you didn't say, but you know, if, it was, uh, if it was, her, they're being ba- badly, badly misinformed by public health. And the reason they, those, those products that are far safer than cigarettes are included in this legislation is because they're being badly informed by public health who delineate these products between whether they contain tobacco or they don't contain tobacco. And as like Mark said, they should be whether they're combustible, which cause harm, or non-combustible, which don't cause harm. And what they should be doing is tackling why they have been misinformed by these disgraceful people in public health whose only concern is that they hate the tobacco industry and they don't care about health. One iota. I'm sorry if that sounds like a rant. No, <laughs>
2: it's great. I'll take a couple at the same time. So if anybody has a question,
4: we've got... Yeah. Hey, uh, so I'm, my name is Felix. I uh, used to work in now work elsewhere. Um, I was going to ask the... Comment on the prospect of a vaping tax to replace uh, lost revenue from, uh, say, tobacco duty. Uh, I can imagine what you're going to say. How likely do you think it is? And I guess I'll get, let, you, let you say whether you think it's a good idea.
2: <laughs> Amazing. Do we have any more questions? Wonderful. Let's answer those, and then if we've got any more, then we can uh, go back to the audience. So anything you'd like to answer? I'll, any yeah, Go on, Chris.
1: Well, on Martin's point, you have to remember these people are idealists, they're utopians. Okay? So their view is that if you stop people smoking up to a certain age, they will never want to smoke. This is based on the basic correlational fallacy that most people do indeed smoke when they start smoking, by which they mean their first cigarette, incidentally. It doesn't mean that's when they became addicted. But they have their first use of tobacco below the age of 21 now. And therefore, the assumption is if they, if they held back until they were 22, they'd never have the desire for it. There is obviously no, uh, there's no evidence for this other than the basic association, right? Most people do most things before the age of 21, right? <laughs> there's not that many things, you know, if they've already been invented that you hadn't done by the age of 21. Most people have had a drink before they're just 18, let alone 21, probably before they're 15. Um, the idea that if... We prevented, somehow magically prevented everybody from drinking until they're 22. Nobody would suddenly, at the age of 23, go, Actually, this is quite nice. I like this. Go, of course, they would. Um, but the idea is you have this smoke free generation. Well, firstly, for the reasons already been explained, prohibition doesn't actually prohibit. So you would not have a smoke free generation in the same way you don't have a cannabis free generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, because they think we're going to have a smoke free generation, they see no reason to have things like heated tobacco in the mix for this generation born after 2008, because they're not going to be switching from cigarettes because they already smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So they're idealist um, fantasists. On, on the, the question about the vaping tax, I mean, I edit the Nanny State Index, which looks at regulation of these things around Europe. And over <coughs> the course of the last seven years, the number of countries that tax vapes, I can't remember the exact figures, but it's gone up from something like three to about 15. And in some instances, quite explicitly, because governments are losing money from tobacco duty. And they say it is an obvious substitute, which to some extent it is. Yes, you will lose tobacco revenue as people switch to less harmful um, products. And no, you will not have any NHS savings because that's just a myth. So yes, you will need to tax something else. There's no reason why you tax vaping. If your public health policy is anything like coherence in fact it's the last thing you should be taxing you should just tax something else um but they won't they, they will go well here's another vice we can we, we we can we can tax that instead so whether th- this country will do it i don't know but to quite quite honestly i'm amazed that rishi sunak and the conservative party have done this so they may well introduce a vaping tax thank you
2: craig did you want to respond to the um, well, well I'm, not,
1: I'm not sure Martin
0: had a question in there, I think it was more... more uh, but, but the only thing I would say to you is, uh, you, you know, the current minister isn't the only person with that view. Uh, the last minister, when I spoke in... Uh, there was a... I, I can't even remember what it was now. It was a Westminster Hall debate that I spoke uh, because I was quite excited about the fact that I'd discovered heated tobacco. Uh, and I got a very similar response. Uh, and that was, a gen- that was just a generic uh, debate on my own experience. And, and it was Neil O'Brien at the time who was the minister. Uh, and he was very, very ideal, uh, idealist uh, about the whole process. And, and the current minister, you know, when she said, you know, Professor Whitty has the evidence, um, I said, well, can I have it? And she said, I'll get it for you and you'll get it. I can guarantee you I won't get it because it isn't there.
2: So, what does, she, what does she argue the evidence said, that heated tobacco was more harmful than uh,
0: cigarettes? Uh, no, not more harmful, but highly harmful and much more harmful than vaping, uh, was the exact word okay. she said to me. OK, you. I don't know. I'm not a scientist.
2: I'm going to get a scientist involved. That's interesting. Um, Paul, did you want to respond to some of the comments made about harm yeah. reduction? Uh,
3: just, just to Martin's point, something me and Chris have discussed over the past few months is... Normally, when you talk about prohibition, you talk about legalisation of drugs. And in fact, this is how me and Chris met many years ago, talking about cannabis legalisation. And we, you know, you, you could, the, the libertarians and the right can find allies on the left when it comes to prohibition. Because you say, we should really change our cannabis laws. They don't make any sense. And, and many of my sort of, you know, <laughs> other think tanks that exist in the space would rally to that. Yeah, we need to legalise cannabis. But something very challenging is happening with this discussion on tobacco, and that, and we were we spoke, didn't we, after because when all this got announced, you know, Chris and I were tweeting going, "This is insane, this is awful policy," and all the other characters in that space who, were, who pushed back against prohibition just said nothing. They just don't say anything, and then the character that we were speaking about earlier, you know, a, a big drug, drug policy reform advocate, wrote this huge blog where they clearly had to make lots of leaps to eventually justify prohibiting uh, tobacco, and really. That's a, that's a problem, because you're not going to get allies on the left. And, and normally when you push these issues, you, know, you, can, you can find a libertarian argument on the right, you can find a sort of, uh, uh, you know, almost really a social justice argument, but look, if we do this policy, less harm will be caused. But that's just not there for this issue, and the reason it's not there for this issue is the power of the public health lobby is very, very anti-corp. They, ba- they hate the alcohol industry, and they hate the tobacco industry. And one of the most famous things that they will share and talk about is Professor Nuts. You know oh, yeah. the most harmful drugs. You see it all the time, and they go, oh, you know, alcohol's the most harmful drug, and tobacco's six. But if that's the case, then they should absolutely not be arguing for prohibition of tobacco, because tobacco is ranked number six. But in their head, they've had to do these like sort of mental gymnastics. Should they gymnastics. then
2: be arguing for prohibition of alcohol? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. And that's what we said. That's what I said to someone online. I said, okay, so if you if you support this this the, the banning of alcohol, then you must now support sorry, banning of tobacco, you must now support, based on this graph that you talk about all the time, now you've got to support the banning of everything else if six is the marker by which you say, well, that's just too dang, dangerous for the public. And I think that, that, that's why this is going to be such a difficult issue in government, because you're not going to find those allies on the left. And I'd be very interested to see what a Labour government does with this and, and, and where that public health lobby goes. And I think you know, Chris speaks much more, much more eloquently on, on this, and, on the, the sort of nudge element of it, but you know, once you, if if the public and government accept that the banning of tobacco is a sensible thing, then where do you go from there? Like, you can make very valid arguments to say, well now we've banned alcohol, we best get moving on tobacco, because the evidence is clear that alcohol is more dangerous. So, I'm I'm very, (laughs) very, very very concerned about the strength of the public health lobby. Mm -hmm. The absence that we have as uh, allies on the left over this issue who definitely should support us based on the evidence but their fear of capitalism their fear of tobacco and alcohol it all gets lumped in to this and and a lot of them unfortunately now have moved away from the arguments that me and Chris would have verbalised over the years many of the people that we would probably have called allies on on the things that we care about now just stop at decriminalisation just decriminalise it And, and the truth of the matter is they are more comfortable criminal gangs making money than corporations and I've had debate after debate with academics where they say um, criminal gangs cannot walk the corridors of power, which is why why we why we need to just decriminalise. Which is an absolutely wild position for anyone for anyone to take. But. <laughs>
2: Particularly interesting in the context of the way in which the public health lobby—I mean, take Ash for example. Ash are funded by the government, and they put out research like this that argues, um, well, they, they put out some good stuff on vaping, but you know, you, you get their spokespeople arguing for uh, tobacco bans as well. And um, I don't—I don't think we always uh, talk about where you know where those arguments are actually coming from. And um, Mark, could you talk a little bit about? Um, could you sort of respond to the questions about harm reduction? We heard a little bit about. Uh, the way in which um, snus is, is obviously much much less harmful and of course we should be taking uh, those Brexit opportunities and legalising it in this country although Sweden did get an exemption didn't they when they joined the EU?
4: They did which shows that when you join the EU you can get exemptions when you try and leave you can't get, you can't get any exemptions <laughs> at all! <laughs> Indeed. But interestingly because nicotine pouches were invented as a way of circumnavigating that law which banned tobacco oral nicotine so Um, that doesn't follow that exemption. And now the EU is looking at trying to ban that EU wide and therefore the Swedes are getting up in arms about it. Um,
2: Will we see a SWEXIT over nicotine? Oh, over a I mean,
4: you know, there were a lot of people I know very unhappy about what was going on. There was a, the, the EU was having lots of uh, dirty meetings. You know, this is all very familiar for us. You know, when we we're in, but they were they were talking and trying to stop the members of of the EU actually having an involvement in what the decisions were. So the EU was getting very unhappy. I was seen quotes from the leader of the Communist Party the leader of the sort of right-sided party, all saying this is appalling if they try and ban uh, nicotine pouches, or or they wanted to tax snooze, that was it. They said, we will leave the EU. Um, Whether that comes to pass, I don't know. But I do know when I went to Sweden, the Swedes were berating me, saying, we only joined because of you, and now you've left with loads of maniacs. Um, (laughs) Now, just to be clear, the rot started when we allowed Boris Johnson to say that we should ban combustion engine vehicles in 2030. That's not how technological change happens. You know, the market says we've got something better. Leave it to the consumer to decide, okay, I wanna switch over to electric cars. But the market must supply that better product for us to be willing to do it. And frankly, if they don't, we're gonna end up like Cuba, right? In 2038, I'm gonna be driving my old car and, and, and it's going to have, you know, different parts put on it. we have quite cool in some ways, but it's not really, <laughs> not really very useful to get to getting the children to school. Okay, so uh, one thing that really interests me, what, what's the deal with the law? If I start growing tobacco, am I going to be arrested? Oh, not me, sorry, my son. That was it. I can grow it, but my son can't. But if my son's watering the plant, is he being arrested? <laughs> I mean, the same the tobacco um, really, uh, Quickly on that, uh, I think cannabis consumption, regular cannabis consumption, is about 5.6%. That's prohibited. So they haven't. We haven't even achieved smoke-free mm. on cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, cannabis. Sorry, not cannabis. Um, yeah. Well, cannabis in America was obviously legalized in certain states. And Paul, you know more about this. But I don't think we saw significant rises in consumption. To be in some states, it's actually stayed the same. The Netherlands has a lower consumption of cannabis than us, but it's more free to do as they please. South Africa banned cigarettes during COVID. Didn't consumption increase, Chris? I mean, you know.
1: It didn't increase, but there was a massive black market, funnily enough. Okay. And well, a huge you. amount of
2: Funny
1: crime. I think maybe 8% of people gave up temporarily, which seems not very much for the total prohibition. During lockdown, when you're not really allowed to leave your house anyway. Mm.
4: <laughs> but but so, so I think the smoking dropped here a bit because people were scared, thinking that would cause mm. um, you to die uh, more it's, immediately. It's interesting um, that
2: you brought up net zero with regard to the environment i do think it's interesting when governments implement arbitrary targets and they say okay by 2030 we're going to be net zero by 2030 we're going to be smoke free and then after they basically give themselves as homework then they say well we actually have to get this done now so then they start implementing all of these policies to try and achieve this target that they set themselves so do you think that this is that there's some sort of Uh, mirroring that kind of target when when the government say we want to see a smoke-free England by 2030, is that why we're seeing these more restrictive uh, illiberal policies? Chris is nodding. Absolutely.
4: That's why they set the targets. (laughs) That's why they set the targets in the first place, to
1: justify these stupid policies that people wouldn't put up with otherwise.
2: Because if, if they didn't set the target, well, if they didn't set the
1: target in the first place... It's, it's a trap. It's a bear trap. You, you, you set this target. That, this target was never discussed in Parliament. It was never in any manifestos. This was just Theresa Therese May's thing at the fag end of her premiership when she botched everything up, particularly Brexit, and she was scraping around looking for something to be remembered by. And she goes, well, we'll go net zero by 2050. We're we'll going to smoke free by 2030. and I'll leave somebody else to work out how to do it. We shouldn't even respect this ridiculous target.
4: Now, that's an interesting point you make though. Rishi Sunak is doing this policy because he wants this to be his legacy. And we've seen that time and time again with the politicians. They think, I want something to be my legacy. And it, it but somebody up, else has to do it. It, it messed up David Surely your legacy th- should be based on what you do rather than what yeah, 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 <laughs> your, your successors yeah, 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 yeah. do. But that's sort of the easiest way of implementing I mean, David Cameron's legacy was talk out, uh, to sort out all the constitutional issues, and he had his uh, you know, final issue with uh, uh, Brexit, which I was quite pleased about, but um, yeah, so, it, but it's interesting, he doesn't want to do it himself. He hmm. wants to leave it to someone else. Um, just quickly on that tax point, um, I think that the tax system should be based on relative risk. So a sliding scale, so cigarettes have the most tax, and then the reduced products have the lowest tax. The fact is that vaping's done well in this country because it's cheaper than smoking. And that's largely caused by the large duty on uh, smoking. Um, but there's a price elasticity, elasticity? Elast- sounds Elasticity elast- elast- <laughs> elast- demand. Um, so, so by raising a tax, you're gonna see more people sticking to cigarettes. And frankly, we've talked about this loads already, but if you put five pounds on a disposable vape, they're already about five pounds anyway, that's 10 pounds. Well, I can, I can come with dollar sale. Craig, you know all about this because you're, you're a sound politician, you understand it, but I can show the politicians where I can buy a pack of fags for five quid, four quid, you know, easy. So yeah, no, no to a tax.
2: And I suppose it's about price substitution, right? If the prices are both the same, then consumers won't feel the difference when they are switching between them. <laughs> Whereas, of course, obviously, we know that if, if we were to implement a uh, vaping tax, which is also something being considered in the tobacco and vapes bill, then um, that 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 substitution isn't isn't necessarily the same way. Craig, I want you to respond to uh, these accusations about the way in which these policies have been uh, been introduced. Is it because we see these arbitrary targets and then governments say well we've got to actually reach these targets how do we get there
0: well it's so it's so crazy they actually think for some bizarre reason because w- what i find as a politician and most politicians uh, will be the same uh, those that shout loudest in my inbox i get between three and four thousand emails a week and it's normally from those that actually shout loudest it's not you know it's not common uh calder valley resident who shouts loudest and in fact quite often if you. Listen, I spent 30 years in retail before I went uh, across the road there. And retail is very visual. So I do a lot of door knocking. In fact, every week I go door knocking because that's the only thing that tells me actually what's really happening. I can listen to all the polls and what have you. But it is crazy what is going on in politics. It is politics by uh, perceived populist view, uh, which is what, what, what's happening. Just to give me an example... Um, Cummings, the uh, the um, catalytic converter um, people for the engines, have just spent millions and millions and millions of pounds developing a hydrogen uh, engine for trucks, two constituencies away from me in Bradford South. Um, The government won't even speak to them because it's a combustion engine they're using. And why won't they speak to them? Because it's written in the industrial strategy of this country that we're gonna ban combustion engines. And that's how stupid things really are. Um, Because, you know, I I kind of get some of the things because, you know, I, I get lobbyists come and see me about, um, you know, I've got Cala in my constituency. For example, great company, uh, a lot of my uh, constituents are off-grid, whether it's... Uh, 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 well, they have electricity, but they don't tend to have gas. Um, so they use Cala Now, Cala have come up with all these solutions to be a halfway measure, um, which governments have kind of pushed back and said, well, actually, we don't want a halfway measure. We, you know, we, we want to go for the full thing. So I kind of understand that kind of logic. But when you have a government policy to g- go forward to net zero and hydrogen is part of that solution but yet they won't in this case it hasn't cost them a penny. A corporate company has spent millions developing this so that's the crazy situation that we get. And, and, and it won't be any different under Labour because that, that, that's, that's what's happening in politics. Um it's the crazy. problem with arbitrary
2: arbitrary targets. I think we've got to argue against them when they're yeah. when they're introduced first. Um, let, I saw some people more people with questions. Should we open back up to the audience? Oh yes, we've got that conversation has spurred more questions. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, should we go to the frontier please?
6: Hi. Um, uh, my name is Chris Mancy. I these days i am just a sort of a concerned private citizen. Um, I, um, I, I wasn't looking to give up smoking, and uh, like you, I can't eat tobacco, um, and just haven't smoked a single cigarette since. Um, so, um, where to start? Um, I mean, you know, there's a slightly flippant question to ask, like, you know, perhaps Craig, you can advise us whether uh, Rishi Sunak is mad, stupid, or just evil. Um, I think that's <laughs> not an entirely serious question, I'm aware of that. Um, I think that um, one of the things that I used to do, I used to write a particularly sweary blog called Devil's Kitchen because I was really very angry at the, the government, um, at that time the Labour government. But it, I found that I, the Conservatives came in and didn't change anything particularly, so I just couldn't be bothered anymore. Um, and one of the other things that I used to do with Chris, in fact, was to start uh, a website called Fake Charities, which in, Action on Smoking and Health, which is uh, funded by us, like many, many other charities. Um, and, uh, and you know, those, those things are terrible. So let me try and come to a question. The key thing with the conservative government in New Zealand is in fact, there is a libertarian aspect to that coalition. Um, I used to have a very good relationship with a conservative MP, who I won't name because he's currently a minister. Um, but he said at one point, well, you know, I actually believe in legalizing all drugs, but I was warned by my, my local association not to talk about that, because it's not a conservative thing to do. So, but lots of people are, are, are very pro-prohibition, generally speaking, as long as it's not something that they do. So I, I think your idea that this is, is not a conservative policy, I think it is. Conservatives have never been known, for, really, for, for social policy. Um, but we, here we are in the Institute of Economic Affairs, and down the road there's the Adam the Smith Institute, which also goes for economic freedom and so on and so forth. And someone mentioned earlier, are we making enough of a, uh, a point about liberalism uh, in general? And um, I would like, obviously I think most of the panel would say probably not, but where is that, that instinct for liberalism going to come from? It's not conservatives, and the liberal Democrats are a joke. And Labour and Conservatives, you when know, Farage used to say there's, there's not a cigarette packet, a cigarette paper between them in terms of policies, so there's no hope there. Where is the hope for liberalism going to come from? Uh, or indeed, are we just going to get worse and worse and worse? In which case, I'm going to try and find a country to go and emigrate to, frankly.
2: Amazing. Any
6: other questions? We've
7: got a few hands up. Should we go behind? Thank you, Ian Taylor. Um, do you. Share my fear that we are heading non well, heading headlong for a chaotic tyranny Um, because uh, the minute one thing gets prohibited, up jumps the world and his dog and wants to prohibit something else. Um, I've been saying for a long time uh, if if they go for our cigarettes, the, the next thing they'll be after is our drink. And um, the next thing after that will be some of the things we eat. Um, and if we allow age-related or age-discriminatory, as I call it, um, legislation to come in on these things, um, is you've got the question of enforcement. You're going to have either tyranny or chaos because how are you going to tell people's age unless you reach the point where to go shopping Even for some things we regard as things anyone can get at the moment, you have to have ID and of some sort or another. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of us, myself included, a few years ago fought compulsory ID tooth and nail. We we thought, for the time being, we'd won. Um, Just as an aside, it was actually in no to ID that I first got to know and met um, your own Mark Littlewood. So, uh, your opinion on that? These and oh, yeah, one one last point. Would you agree that possibly we are going beyond the nanny state into the bully state?
2: Amazing, we've
8: got another question at the back. Yes. Hi, um, Edward Todd, a fellow concerned private citizen. I think um, the comparison to this sort of um, eco agenda, particularly with regard to like internal combustion engines, is 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 quite an apt one which i hadn't really thought about before but it's it's is it is it sort of not similar to how things are going um with regard to smoking uh you know certainly amongst the younger generation i mean we know with in terms of icu cars you know it, the uh, government's put this arbitrary deadline on their sale First it was 2030 now it's 2035 and um we, uh, we, know, we know from statistics, you know, that the rate of tobacco consumption has just, amongst the sort of young generation, amongst those who even currently can't even buy cigarettes legally, is gone massive, 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 massively down because of the advent of vapes, you know. Is it not the case? I mean, uh, alongside being profoundly illiberal, unworkable, um, and pragmatically quite stupid, is it also just this, you know, stagnated ban on smoking? Is it also just pointless?
2: Fascinating. Yeah, so we've got... um, we have got one more. Oh, one one more? Yeah, let's let's take one more then.
8: Uh, Hi, I'm James Randall, and my question is, uh, to better promote an end to the nanny state, who do you think should replace Rishi Sunak (laughs) as the head of (laughs) the Conservative (laughs)
2: Party? What a fantastic question. So we've got uh, the future of the Conservative Party, liberalism, the slippery slope that is the nanny state, and whether or not we're entering into a bully state. Um, Chris, I'm gonna start with you. Do you want to respond to that? Because you've done a lot of work on general lifestyle stuff. Are our Greasy Burgers next?
1: Well, obviously, I mean, they, they, yeah, of course yeah. I mean, the, the, the slippery slope is an absolute fact in this area. Um, and one of the reasons I go on about it so much is to try and, knowing that people are basically self-interested to the point of selfishness and don't really care about other people's freedoms, keep pointing out that you're, you could be next. The trouble is that I have learned through many long, painful years that you don't get any... There's no benefit to being right about this. There's no benefit to predicting these correctly. So Action on Sugar was formed in 2014, something that seemed completely absurd, even a year earlier, um, using the same rhetoric as Action on Smoking Health, and indeed saying that tobacco is literally the new... Uh, sugar is literally the new tobacco. Um, nobody seemed to find this particularly ludicrous, although they would have done if you'd have said even a few weeks earlier that there's this group going to set up a cold action on sugar and they're going to pretend that sugar is as, as dangerous as, as tobacco. Instead what people did do was like, oh my God, have you heard about sugar? It's as dangerous as tobacco. Um, and you've had the same thing with any, any uh, uh, ultra-processed food at the moment. I mean, it's something so ludicrous it almost feels like a deliberate hoax. And yet, yeah, people have gone along with it. We'll probably have a, a tax on ultra-processed food yet. So, there is no bottom to the, the, the public's credulity. Um, and uh, to answer Chris's question now, right? Probably emigration is is not a bad uh, option. I have often considered it myself. I don't. I just don't see how we're going to put end to it except by something else that, that was mentioned. Was we are faced, I think, with not quite a tyranny majority, actually. It's more like a tyranny, a tyranny of very, very small minorities. Ooh. Because the kind of thing we're talking about today would not be on the agenda were it not for a tiny handful of fanatics. The general public, although 67% of them may be you know, in a survey in favour of this kind of stuff, I think their depth of support is extremely shallow, And indeed, many of them would very easily change their minds if you spent two minutes discussing it with them. They don't care about these things. There's no reason why any normal person would care about policies that are fundamentally paternalistic and don't actually benefit them in any way. It doesn't really benefit anybody if somebody smokes you know, somebody stops smoking or somebody never takes up smoking or somebody doesn't drink sugary drinks or eat burgers or play fixed or betting terminals or whatever it may be it, you, they might think because of this claim about oh the cost of the nhs blah blah, blah. some people may genuinely believe that rubbish um but I, I, I doubt people actually feel it in any meaningful way there are no collective benefits as economists would say to lobbying for paternalistic policies Plenty of collective benefits for lobbying for, you know, rent-seeking policies. But paternalistic policies don't really fall under that that umbrella, um, and therefore the only reason that you have any kind of political lobbying or campaigning for these policies is because you have incredibly small interest groups. Action on Sugar you could fit into a phone box quite quite comfortably, but they get their, their their voice out there and they get the media on side and everyone loves a panic and before you know it, the government is acting on these things. The only way I see of putting an end to this is by nipping these pressure groups in the bud. Now that sounds quite authoritarian I'm thinking about closing down civil society groups. No, I'm not. I'm just talking about not funding them anymore. Mm. The state shouldn't be funding them. You take away the state funding from most of these organisations and they literally would not be able to afford to employ a single full-time member of staff, yeah, let alone run a campaign, let alone run an office defund the public health lobby
2: <laughs> <laughs> and on that note we're gonna to have to finish up because we have wildly run over time but thank you so much to my wonderful panelists another round of applause well done everybody.